I'd like to have you, if you would, please open your Bibles to uh, Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Yeah, after verse 13, in Matthew, uh, verse 13 in Matthew 23, Jesus goes on to talk about the seven woes. Seven woes. And if you were to look and read them all through, and I encourage you to do so, all of them are very tough words from Jesus. They're harsh. There's no way that I can this morning sugarcoat them. Because he just lays it right out on the line. What he's talking about is he tells the truth about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You may have it as the Pharisees and scribes or the scribes and Pharisees, depending on your version. But there were the Pharisees and there were the scribes, the teachers. They were teaching people the law. And in Matthew 23, we have the very straight talk of Christ. Very straight talk. I'm not going to go through all seven of them. I'm going to pick us up on the sixth one. You can read the others. You can read that. But I want to specifically look at the sixth one in verse 27. If you notice, there's an F behind the 27. That means, and following. That's just a shorthand we'd use to say that text and the following text is what the F means. So if you would look at that, Matthew 23, verse 27, we're going to look at the sixth woe, sixth and seventh woe that Jesus gives to the scribes and the Pharisees. So hold on to your hats because this gets tough. And Jesus went on to say, Woe to you, scribes, our teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Hypocrisy, what they were talking about, is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs which one's own behavior does not conform to. You have this, this is what we're supposed to do, but then your behavior does not reflect what you're supposed to be doing. Hypocrisy. Well, when we were visiting there in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, you can look and see that looking down from the Mount of Olives, down the valley and over towards the Temple Square, there were tombs. Lots of tombs were there, all these tombs there. You can see them, and they would whitewash these at the time. Those were very bright, light stone, and in the sun, and when you would turn around, and we could, when we were staying, Kendall and I, along with the group, were camped out right about over here, and we could look back, Temple Square, and we could see those in the setting sun as it went down in the west. We could see those bright, white-looking tombs that were there on the hillside. Well, the reason that Jesus was speaking to them was because of the issue of defilement. Defilement was very important to the Pharisees and leaders. They did not want to be going anywhere to touch the dead because they would be spiritually, it was thought, defiled by doing that. Now, you could touch your relatives and so forth. They would die. There was part of that. But not close to Passover. You know, those Pharisees, those priests, they were very careful not to touch the dead. And so they were very careful about that. And this was about one month before Passover. The tombs then were whitewashed to keep the priests. They were clean, they were made, and they were whitewashed with material. 
in order, so that if the priest came along and accidentally touched himself, he wouldn't defile himself, you see. It was a way of making the look of protection there, even though inside was the bones. And Jesus' words to them, Jesus was preaching to them, and saying, you are like that. You are like you've been whitewashed on the outside, and on the inside you're as corrupt as can be. And that gives me pause to think. Is it not you? Because it's easy for me as a pastor <laughs> to put on the look. You know, the look. I was in a meeting with uh, high school students. And they were, uh, had several of us pastors sitting up front. And I just sensed from the group of the high school students they were looking at, and I was talking with them, and I'm, and they asked me, well, what would you say? And I said, I think all of us pastors would like not to be, ref to be thought of as holy men. <laughs> not as holy men. Maybe as men who were spiritual and who were trying and following Jesus, but not as whitewashed. <laughs> not, as, not as that we could commit no problem. The reality is, I am a sinner, and I'm in need of a savior. I have flaws in my life. I wish that wasn't the case, but that is the case. And still working on them. And so I have to get down on my knees. I have to ask the Lord and plead with the Lord to forgive me for my things, just as you do. It makes us all equal, doesn't it? We all know we are sinners. Come short of God's glory. So I, I, send, I don't want to pretend. I want to be real. I don't want to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And it's easy to do that. I can get into my black suit. I can hold my Bible just right. I can walk the holy walk. Speak the holy words. Pray in a fashion. You'd all be impressed. Oh my. Oh my. And be just like the Pharisees. And Jesus said, woe to you who do that. Woe to you. Verse 29. You got that? Going on to verse 29. Woe to the scribes and to the law, and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, you hypocrites. Now remember, these he's talking about and talking about the prophets. They stoned the prophets. That's what they did. In the old times, if they didn't like what the prophet was saying, which was frequent, they would go after him, and they would chase him, and they, would, they didn't like what he was saying. And so they would not go after him and say, then the prophets are saying, they would get rid of them, drive them out. But, <laughs> after the prophet had died, long after... Now we build these special little monuments. We have these wonderful words. Oh, we hold the prophet in such reverence. We hold him in such reverence because the reason we hold him is because without, we can do that without following the prophet's message because he's long gone. So, so the prophet would call us to repentance, or the prophet would call us for correction. 
A prophet will point something out that we needed to do in our lives. And in order to avoid that, we stone him. Rather than change us, we stone him. Or we ridicule him, or we persecute him. That's what happened to Jeremiah. So we, we persecute them. But then after they're gone, oh, we revere Jeremiah. Because he's not dealing directly with us. He's dealing with that generation. That generation. We don't have to worry about that generation. Because it, that's in the past. We, however, we honor him. Are we going to do what he says? No, of course not. Verse 30. And you say, Jesus is saying, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Oh, yes, if it had been us, of course, we would have been very open to the prophets. We've been very open to them because we are a holier people. <laughs> and Jesus goes on to say, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Now he's talking to, the, talking to the Pharisees and to the scribes, to those teachers of the law in that present day. Now remember what has already happened. Already John the Baptist has been beheaded. They hated John the Baptist. He was calling them to repentance. He was baptizing people without the authority of the church. He was a heretic. <laughs> Calling people back to the scriptures. Sharing the new light that someone has come. And how did we treat them? We, we put him in a spot so he could be beheaded. Just as Jesus had said. Go ahead. And then later, within a few days of when he spoke this, Jesus himself was crucified. You snakes, Jesus goes on to say. You snakes. You, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? What's really speaking about there is hellfire. At the end of the world, hellfire. The death of fire. Therefore, I am sending you prophets, sages, and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in the synagogues and pursue them from town to town. All right away, we had stoning of Stephen after Jesus gone. 34 AD, the first Christian martyr taken out, and he was stoned by the mob. And what was his, what was his great crime? He stood up and he preached that great sermon in Acts 7. He preached that great sermon about calling them to understand how Christ was right in the line of prophecy. And they got so angry at him that they had crucified Christ and they had been participating in that that they went out and stoned Stephen. And then later we had Peter crucified. And he goes on to say, Jesus said, And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. For the blood of the righteous Abel, the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barakah, whom you uh, murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, you have to be careful as you read this, because he's not saying, we understand from Scripture, he's not saying that the guilt, the guilt of them, but that you participated in the same way 
You are as guilty as they were because the blood is on your hands as well. Now from Abel, Abel was the first one murdered in Genesis. And the last one we have recorded in scripture comes to Zacharias. Now that was because they put the Chronicles at the end. Genesis at the beginning and Chronicles in the Jewish Bible comes at the end. And so the end of Chronicles. And Zacharias was the last one who was the son of the high priest who they took out and they murdered him right between, right between in the temple and the altar, right there. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation as Jesus is speaking. And the rejection is not only of Jesus, but also his followers. Now verse 37. In verse 37, we see the change as Jesus now, instead of speaking just to the scribes and to the Pharisees, Jesus now turns his attention to a wider spectrum. And he's looking over the city of Jerusalem from the temple square. That's where the Dome of the Rock is right there. You can see right there is Temple Square, the Dome of the Rock. Muslims have their dome there. And in this passage, I want you to listen because you're going to hear the lament, the, the anguish of Christ as he speaks, as he shares this with him. And he goes on in verse 37, pleading, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have killed the prophets. You stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. That phrasing of gathering her chicks under his wing, the protection a hen does for her chicks, gathers them under his wings to protect them. God used that reference many times in the Old Testament and now he's saying and Jesus is using that same phrasing and he said, and yet you were not willing. You were not willing. Verse 38, look, your house has left you desolate. Desolate. Now there's a couple things that we could gather from that. There was a Jewish mother in the Old Testament. She, married, she named her son Ichabod. I'm glad I was not named that, but that was his name. Ichabod, and the meaning of his name was the glory has departed. The glory, what was the mother talking about? The glory was, the glory was shining as a light in the most holy place of the temple. It had gone out because indicating them God was not with them. And so she named her child. We know God is not with us. That was the name of the child, the glory. God has departed from us. And so when the priests went in, when God was with them, they could see the light shining up over the curtain. They knew God's presence was there. But after God just, uh, left them, after he left them in their horrendous apostasy, after God's glory had departed and was no longer with them, when that had disappeared, they would go in there and they would know, looking physically, they would know God isn't there because there's no light. And by this time, the glory had long departed. They were going through the services after service, a sacrifice year after year, and going through the, knowing that God was not with them. And no one bothered to say, how are we going to get God back? 
Because the pathway to getting God back was through repentance, and they weren't interested in any of that. There's a second part to the glory is desolate. And that is because Jesus said in verse 39, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus comes. At the end, we'll look in Revelation for that. You see, in actual fact, in actual fact, Jesus had left the building and he was gone. Jesus was gone. He left. He said, I'm leaving. I'm gone. So, God on earth, Jesus, Jesus, God's son, son of God, the creator of the world. He left the temple and when he left, he took with him all of the Godhead with him. This was a direct fulfillment of Daniel 9. If you're familiar with the prophecies in Daniel 9, it was exactly laid out 600 years before, exactly how this would take place. It was laid out there clearly. They all had that. They could read that. They could know that. They could study that. It was all there. And when he appeared, they did not accept it. So as I was reading these words this week, <laughs> going on a story, it was easy. Oh, that's right. Lay it to those Pharisees and lay it to those teachers. Oh, that's about time. That was, you got your final word in there and you said it and straight talk. But what would Jesus say? Would he say those words today? Would he say those words today? You know, it's a rather sobering question, isn't it? Rather a sobering question. You see, we do. We do garland the graves of the ancient worthies, yes, in our own sense and in our hearts. We persecute the contemporary successors of those who point out things. Now, I come from a faith tradition that believes not all truth has yet been discovered. Our faith tradition among Seventh-day Adventists is that there's still truth to be found. We can't just rest on our laurels and say, we got it. We got it. But the Bible and our faith tradition is keep seeking, keep looking, keep searching, for there's more to be found. Which keeps us on our toes and keeps us healthy. But in reality, many of us say, yeah, we give lip service to that. But then we sit and say, yeah, but I've got it, though. <laughs> I've got it. One of the things I love about the scripture, one of the things I love about this book, even though I have really spent many, many hours with it, many years, there's always something new. Always something new. Just as I was preparing for today, 
and looking at the woes, and particularly these two, said, aha, aha, did not know that. But sometimes when we lay out new truth, and somebody comes with new truth and has new truth, we kind of draw our curtains around us and say, well, no, 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 no. We, we, we build our own walls around it. And we must be careful. We must be cautious. I don't hear, oh, that's a wild idea, and go chasing after it. I want to look, see if it's true, see if that's a thing of Scripture. Because new truth tends to be disturbing, and it forces us to rethink our world and for us to do it. And so it's much easier for us just to say, ah, he's a troublemaker, <laughs> and write him off. It is much easier. Interesting that we have heretics every once in a while appear, we call them. And many things that they're saying are just really, really off base. But essentially, you have to be careful with the heretic because usually the very first thing that they're talking about probably is right. You have to listen, be careful. Open your eyes, do you think about it, think it through. You know, some have to be right at any cost. At any cost. I'd like to suggest to you something this morning. Extremely important. It's more important to be kind and good than it is to be right. It's more important to be kind and good than it is to be right. We script, search the scriptures. We, we look for the truth. We hung on to truth. We, we hammer that. But it's more important, more important to be good and to be kind than it is to be right. Hard thing for us. So as I thought about this, when I went through this and thinking through this, and looking at this whole passage there, and particularly these last two, as he went so straight, cut so straight, which they did not like to hear and angered them, And I thought, was I there when they crucified my Lord? Was I there? Well, no, I, I, I was born here in America. But my life was there. You know what I mean? My life was there. My future. My salvation. My hope was there. And God who knows everything knows you. Back then. <laughs> knows you. So in a very real sense. I was there. And it causes me to think, was I screaming, crucify him, crucify him? Or was I 
humbly crying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Save me in your kingdom. So Jesus left the building. He walked out of the temple, never to return. It was on the last few days before he went to the cross. And his disciples were troubled as they followed him out the doors, out the, out the way, out the gates. And as they were followed him, they were wondering, things are coming to a head here. Something's going to happen. And so they asked him, when will this happen? When will your kingdom come? What will be the end of the world and what will be the end of the age? Next week, we will look at Jesus' answer and why it's an important answer for every one of us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these words. They were stern. They were stern and they caused us to to uh, pause and to think. Yes, Lord, we have to, to realize we, we were part of that cross. Even though we say, oh, and it's, and I'm so many, or I'm 2,000 years later, it doesn't make any difference. It did. So today, today may we repent and may we thank the Lord that he offers us his grace and forgiveness. And that we can be cleansed from all righteousness. And that we welcome Jesus into our lives, into our hearts. For grace comes through the man. In Jesus' name. His holy way. Amen.